Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Uh, it's, it's amazing. How are we all doing? We all right? It's good. My name's Jono. If we haven't uh, yet met, then it is a, a pleasure to, to meet you and welcome you along to church. As Ken said, thank you, Izzy. Look at that. Oh, we've got a snazzy new background. Who loves a good new background? Yeah, it's, it's the little things, eh? Uh, but I want to I wanna give you a very, very warm welcome to, as Kent said, week two of uh, what is not just a series. Series are good, but this is really our theme for the year, which is this idea of free people. Uh, I, I pray that, that if you were with us last week or caught it online, that it was, it was helpful. I'm not going to re-preach the sermon, but we are kind of picking up where we left off. So for context, last week we, we kind of asked the question, what is freedom? Right, if we're declaring as, as a church that we are a free people, if we're declaring and coming into agreement, as it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, then, then what does that mean? What do we mean when we say freedom? And, and last week we talked about the fact that, that biblical freedom is different from maybe what we might think of when we think of freedom. That it's, it's not so much a freedom from as it is a freedom for. That freedom is an invitation in a, in a way to live. That, that freedom is not just a moment of freedom, but it's an invitation to a, a life of freedom. Not just moments of liberty that, that lead to oppression, but a life in which we live free, stay free, and, and hopefully even are a part of freedom for others. And, and our invitation to you is that's a big idea. Hopefully that's a compelling idea and you're like, yeah, that, that sounds amazing, but, but how do I do, what do I do with that? And so across the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about that. But the, the invitation, as Kent said, is, hey, we'd invite you to do three things. To, to join with us, we've got a devotional that covers these four weeks. And so be intentional in seeking God each day. The, the hard copies of the devotional are all gone, so apologies if you didn't get, get one. But we're sharing them, and so far I have not broken my promise. We're sharing them every day on social media. Right, and so they're all available online. You could even read ahead, but that, that would be spoiling it for yourself, so I'd, I'd encourage you not to. Uh, but, but they're all there, and so join with us. They don't take a long time to go through, but we really believe that starting our day, intentionally seeking after God and saying, God, what do you want to say to me today is a good thing to do, yeah? So join with us in, in pursuing God in those devotionals. Be a part of a community. Join an e-group, as Kent said. And if you're wondering how to do that, you can uh, grab our, our church center app and the, the groups are available there. You can see, or if that all sounds like gobbledygook and a bit confusing to you, just go to our help desk after the service and, and we'd love to help you to find an e-group. We believe that there is a place for everyone to belong, to contribute, to be known and to know others. And finally, keep on doing what you're doing, right? Just reach your hand up nice and high kind of tilt it at the elbow and just give yourself a pat on the back. Oh, yeah, it feel, feels quite nice, right? You're attending, yeah? We believe that gathering under the preached word of God, that gathering together for corporate worship, that gathering together just to encourage one another, because you're a great bunch, is an essential part of, of who it is to be a people of faith. That this is more than just a collection of ideas, that this is more than just a product to consume, but we are a family, a, a body of people, and so being together is so essential to who we are, Yeah? And as we do that, it is our prayer. There's no magic formulas. There's no money back guarantee, right? But it is our prayer that as we do that, we would encounter more of the freedom that God has for us, yeah? Awesome. So uh, if last week we talked about what is freedom, today we wanna look at maybe one of the most important questions, how do we get free? If God has freedom for us, and, and I'm presuming all of us in the room are like, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good thing. How do we get free? If we know what freedom is, how do we become free people? 
And, and as I talked about last week, we can't really talk about freedom without talking about the Exodus, right? The, the story that we find in Scripture of, of who God is, that God is a God of liberation, that God is a God of freedom. And it's a story that I would suggest comes to a conclusion at the cross, but starts much, much earlier. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read a, a, a portion of Scripture you may be familiar with, especially if you've watched the best movie of all time, The Prince of Egypt. Uh, Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. It says this. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. The bush was engulfed in flames. It didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied, which I mean, fair enough, right? Like what else are you going to say to a burning bush? Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then, then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. One more time, you bow your heads with me and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this time together. God, I thank you as your word goes out that, that it does not return void. And so I pray today that, that this would be more than just ideas, this would be more than just concepts, that your living word would, would be in, in our midst. God, that it would land in us that, that it, would, it would do something in us, that we would be transformed, that we would be more like you than, than we were before we, we came into this room. God, I thank you that, that, that following you is a journey, that it's a process, but that you are with us in it. And so I pray today as we lean into to the truth that you have for us, that it is for freedom that you have set us free, that, that it would touch the ground in our lives in some sort of way, that this would not just be me and my ideas, but that you would speak today. God, whereas as anything else, would it fall to the ground? Whereas is of you, would it, would it land in our hearts? Would it take root and would it be a good, good fruit? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the author, uh, Jorge Bouquet, he, he tells the story of visiting a circus as a small boy. And, and you know, obviously this, this dates him a little bit because just quick show of hands, who's been to a circus in the last like five years? 
not such a going thing, right? 10 years, can I get 20 years? 30 years, 40, now I'm aging some of you, right? You're like, I resent the implication, Jono, please don't do that, right? My point is, is that circuses don't go around so much anymore. Apparently there used to be an elephant at Auckland Zoo. Again, some of you are like, yeah, I visited it. I'm, I'm sorry for aging you. Uh, but he's going to the circus, right? And, and at the circus, uh, he goes to see the elephant. The elephant is his fa- uh, favorite a- attraction at the circus. And, and he goes to see it because he's just amazed by the raw power of an elephant. Has anyone seen an elephant in, in real life at a zoo? Like they are, you look at elephants and pictures, you watch videos of elephants, you're like, yeah, that's a thing. You then see it in real life and you can understand the feeling. Like it is, it is enormous, it is massive, it is powerful. And, and at the circus, which, I mean, this was cruel and I'm glad we don't do it anymore, but they would show off the elephant's strength. Yeah, they'd have it lift heavy blocks that, that no person could ever lift, move things, you know, jump on things. Like, it was, it was amazing. And so Jorge was just in, in trance, but man, this elephant is the most powerful thing I've ever seen. And so the show finishes, and, and, and he thinks, man, I'd love to see some more of the elephant. So he, he sneaks out of the, the big top, and, and he finds himself where he shouldn't be in, in kind of the behind-the-scenes area of the circus. But circuses are not really renowned for their high level of security, at least back then. And, and so he finds his way to the, the elephant tent. And he sneaks in, and he expects to see this elephant in, in what must be the biggest cage he's ever seen in his life, right? That, that must be what they use to contain such a, a, a phenomenally powerful beast, but he gets inside the tent and he says he sees this elephant and, and it's simply staked to a peg in the ground. There's, there's a rope going from the collar on the elephant into this teeny tiny peg in the ground. And the elephant is standing there, not pulling in the pen, not, not doing anything, just, just there. And, and he's struck. He's like, this is, this is weird. How do, like, is this a magical peg? What's going on here? So he turns to the keeper and he says, how do you keep the elephant in place with this peg? It's so small. He says, yeah, the, the peg is small. The elephant could pull it out very, very easily. But we tied this elephant to this peg when it was a baby. And, and when it was a baby, it tried to pull it out. It, it leaned and it pulled and it, it, it mustered all the strength it had at a baby elephant to, to try and pull the peg out, but it couldn't do it. And so at some stage, it came to accept the fact that this peg is immovable that this pig cannot be pulled out. Elephants have long, long memories, and so it serves us well that the elephant had reached a conclusion when it was young that the pig could never be moved. And so now all we need to do is we don't need to bring a big cage with us. We just bring a pig and a rope. We pig it in the ground, and to the elephant, it might as well be a mountain. It's immovable. And, and, and Jorge was amazed, and he, he went on the rest of his day. The question today is how do we become free people? How do we enter into freedom? And and that's a question that I want to address today in in a story told in three parts. Names, shame, and family. To start our story, names. Right, this, this really famous moment in the Exodus story, this inciting incident that leads to all the drama about plagues and, and parting seas and bread for the sky, it all starts with this burning bush. Right, where God speaks to Moses, uh, to Moses from this burning bush and says, I've seen the misery of, of my people in Egypt. I've, I've heard them crying out because of their slave drives. I'm concerned about their suffering, so I've come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. I've come to bring them out of Egypt into a good and spacious land, a land of milk and honey. Now, this isn't God saying to Moses, like, I've just suddenly remembered something very important. 
any parents in the room, you might be able to relate. Obviously, you're a better parent than, than I am probably. But that moment where it reaches the end of the day and you remember you're on school pickup. And you're not, Emma, clo- close your ears, right? This never happens. But you're not in a great proximity to get to the school on time for that to go smoothly. Again, I'm sure that's never, ever happened to any of you. Hypothetically, it may have happened to me one or two times, right? <laughs> At max. This is not God having that moment of like, oh my goodness, my people are in slavery. I completely forgot about them. Like, I really should go and free the people. Look what happened. I was just way too, I was having a coffee, catching up with, I don't know who God's catching up with, right? The metaphor falls apart. I really should go and free the people. It's not what's happening. Right? This is, this is God saying, hey, I, Moses, I am who it's rumored I am. I'm a God who keeps my promises. I'm a God of liberation. I am a God of freedom. I have heard the cries of my people. I have never not been aware of their circumstance. I've never not been aware of their suffering. And now I am moving to do something a part of it. And even more incredibly, perhaps, he invites Moses to be a part of it, to lead the people out of Egypt. God thrusts greatness onto Moses. And then Moses responds with a question. He says, If I go to the people of Israel, and and if I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I I tell them? Really what's happening here is this is a really roundabout way of of Moses saying to God, God, what's your name? I don't know if you know that, that awkward moment where you've met someone, you've been talking to them for a while, they've told you their name, and all of a sudden you realize, I've forgotten but I'm too far into the conversation, right? Sometimes it's the first conversation. Sometimes you see someone, you haven't seen them for a while, or or maybe you have seen them and it's just dropped out of your mind and you're like, I have forgotten your name. And at some stage in this conversation, I'm going to have to remember it. And I don't know, I'm gonna have to come clean and just admit, and and that might hurt their feelings. And that I just, that's gonna suck, right? I hate this. I'm not great with names. Like, Like I'll remember the last conversation we had. I'll remember your hopes, your dreams, your favorite color. But my brain's like, names, everyone's got a name. You don't need to remember that, right? Everyone's got it. It's not unique to anyone. Like, no, it's quite important. People enjoy being referred to by their name. Hey, you doesn't build rapport very well. <laughs> and, and so I found uh, that there are two ways to kind of get out of the situation. If you're in a, a situation where you've forgotten someone's name and you want to remember it, again, we're equipping you for life through faith in Jesus Christ and also just practical tips, right? The, the first one, and this is my favorite, is to find someone that they haven't met yet and introduce that person. But you have to do it in quite a specific way, right? So, so let's say I, I, I find, uh, I, you know, uh, I, I, I find someone and I'm like, hey, uh, can you come over here? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, hey. I'd use my lovely wife, Em, as an example, right? I'd be like, Em. Uh, this is, and, and then I would leave the gap for, for them to say their name, like, hi, I'm Bob, right? Or, or you'd do it even better. You'd say, this is my wife, Em. And then he would say, hi, nice to meet you. And then that would, like the conversational uh, tennis that's going on, the ball is now squarely in their court and, and they just say their name and no one's ever the wiser. You're like, yeah, I could have said your name was Bob. I knew your name was Bob, but I let you introduce yourself because that's a nice thing to do, right? And it's, that works out well. It doesn't always happen that way for me though, right? So the other thing that you can do is, is you uh, persist in the conversation for as long as you can, and then you find a, a convenient exit. Like, I feel like God's calling me over here. And so you start walking that way, and then you find someone, you find M, uh, and you say, M, I've just been talking to that person. Uh, I, I do not remember their name. They told me their name, so I can't ask their name again. That would be rude. Can you go find out their name, right? I remember their favorite color. You find out their name. It's a bit of a tag team situation. So we'll get, the, we'll get kind of the, all of the important information 
Here Moses is, and he's doing like a weird combination of the two. Like he says, hey God, all good to go talk to the people of Israel. When I talk to the people of Israel, let's say they ask me your name, which I totally know, right? But say they ask me for, for your name, again, which I, I'm totally across your name, and I, I know your name, but if they were to ask me your name, what name would you like me to tell them is, is your name, God? Right? Moses has forgotten the name of, of God. And this is even more obvious when we read the story in the original Hebrew because up until this point in the Hebrew, uh, in the Exodus story, the Hebrew title that's been used for God is, is Elohim, which we translate Lord, lowercase. It's, it's the only name used to identify God thus far in the story. Never once in Exodus until the burning bush is God called by the personal name Yahweh. Elohim is a title. It's, it's, it's a, an honorific. It's an impersonal name like sir or madam or, or lord as it is in the Hebrew. Yahweh is much more personal. Now, this is interesting because Exodus is written as a mirror of Genesis. There's a whole bunch of, of things going on where it's meant to complement each other. As, as a Hebrew reader, especially reading it in its original language, you're seeing all of these, these links between each other. And, and throughout all of Genesis, God is called Yahweh again and again by, by Abraham and by Isaac and by Jacob, all those who knew him personally. And, and now Yahweh is conspicuously absent. See, the subtext for the Hebrew reader throughout the introduction of Exodus is we don't know exactly when, we do not know exactly where, but at some point along the way, Israel forgot God's name. They forgot Yahweh, a personal name for God, and instead they only know Elohim, this, this more impersonal title. It would be like if, if you went to go see a doctor, you would call the doctor, doctor, potentially. Right? And, and, and that would be perfectly fine for that situation. But when the doctor leaves home, when she goes home that night back to her husband, her husband will not call her doctor. Want to say, welcome doctor, welcome to your house. That, that would be a weird dynamic, right? Instead, he would call her by her name. Now, what is the difference between you and the husband of the doctor? Intimacy, right? The, the level of intimacy in a relationship means the more intimacy, the less formality and the more personally we interact with each other. See, the, the subtext underneath the Exodus story is that up until the burning bush, we don't know when, but at some point, the nation of Israel's relationship with God grew less personal to the point that they forgot his personal name. And see, the reason that this is important, especially in the Hebrew imagination, is that a name is not just a collection of syllables by which a person is called, which is why when you say, hey, you to someone, they feel a little bit offended, right? A, a name is a summary of a person's character. My name in, in the original Hebrew means gift from God, which explains a lot for you, right? You're like, wow, that's why, it's, um, thank you, yeah, I thank my parents for that one. Uh, but Israel forgot God's name. Right? Meaning they, they forgot what God is like. They forgot who God already to this point had revealed himself to be. See, the Exodus is not really a story about Israel. It's not a story about Pharaoh. It's not even a story mainly about Moses. Exodus is a story about God. It's a story about forgetting who God is, forgetting God's nature and rediscovering God's name, his nature, rediscovering his person, his character as he meets me in my captivity and my sin and my shame, that God is a God of freedom, that God is Yahweh. See, but who are you isn't the only question that Moses asks. And in fact, it's, it's, it's not actually the first 
Before God says his name, before he describes himself, he says what his name means. And in verse chapter, uh, in, in verse seven, God says this to, to, to Moses. I've seen the oppression of my people. I've heard the, their cries. I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come to rescue them. And Moses, I'm going to use you. He describes who he am, he, he, who he is. He is a liberating God. He is Yahweh. And then he extends an invitation. And I'm going to use you in this liberation. Which, which brings us to part two of our three-part story. Shame. Because in response to this, this invitation, in response to this revelation of God's nature and an invitation to be a part of who God is, Moses responds in verse 11, who am I? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? See, Moses asks two questions. In verse 13, he says, if they ask your name, what should I tell them? Who are you? And he says in response to the invitation to be a part of what God is doing, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? I can remember when I was a youth pastor, ending the night, and there was still a kid up the front. And he had his eyes to the floor, and he was kind of just standing there, and the music had finished, and everyone else had kind of emptied out to play table tennis and break things. It's just the key parts of youth ministry. Right, we tried to encourage more table tennis, less breaking, but you can only do so much, right? But he stayed there. And I watched for a moment. I, I gave him some space. And to be honest, I gave him some space because I was just trying to figure out, like, what the heck do I do? And if I walk up and ask him, like, hey, man, is everything okay? He's going to be like, yeah, everything's fine. And the walls are going to go back up and the, the mask is going to go back on. And I'm like, everything's obviously not okay. That's a stupid question. Think of a better question. And I couldn't think of a better question. I just went and stood next to him. It felt pretty awkward for me. I just kind of like looked at the floor as if there was something amazing there as well. Like, man, <laughs> that carpet, yep. And then I said to him, hey, is, is everything okay? He said, I just, I don't know why, I don't know why God can't love me. And, and, and I was all ready to be like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like we just sung songs about how God loves you. I just spoke a message about how God loves you. Like we talk about it all the time. God loves you. You know God loves you. Fortunately, I didn't get in my own way that time. I just waited and I was like, oh, why do you feel that way? And he just started to pour out his hurt, his pain, his past, the things that had been done to him, the things that he'd done to other people, the, the parts in his life that he had come to believe that God's grace couldn't touch. The reasons that, that God couldn't draw close to him, the things that, that he felt like he had to work out before he could come close to God. And he was just standing there confused and, 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 and wrestling with this feeling of why can't God, why can't God love me? I think there's a word for that feeling, for, for the parts of ourselves that we keep in our imaginations at least outside of the reach of God's grace. The, the word that I think we should use is shame. You know, shame is, is easy to feel, but it's hard to define because shame is a storyteller. It's that kind of guilt or insecurity that gets its hooks into our identity, our, our sense of self. Guilt will say, I've done something wrong, but shame says something is wrong with me. I do not make mistakes. I am my mistakes. I am the things that I do wrong. And shame is the beliefs that we carry about ourselves that are our stake in the ground. That other people might look like and be like, that's a really small thing to seem to hold you back so much. It's a really, it's such an obvious lie. 
that's so obviously not true about you, or that's such an exaggeration of, of things. That have, that's such a, a little thing to have such a huge impact, but just like with that elephant, to us it might as well be a mountain. To, to us, it is something that to everyone else, it may look small, it may look insignificant, but to us, it is an accepted fact, an established reality that we cannot move past this. And so it defines us, it, it confines us, it may as well be a, a mountain. Shame. The parts of us, that, the parts of me that I don't think grace can touch. Really, shame is forgetting. And it's forgetting these two things. It's forgetting who I am, and it's forgetting who God is. And so in the midst of shame, we should ask those two questions. We should ask just like Moses does at the burning bush, who am I and God, who are you? Now, now God takes those two questions as an invitation to remind us of what he remembers, but we tend to forget at this burning bush. And, and the burning bush has the tendency or the potential to be read as kind of some abstract mystical encounter by a shepherd who's just stayed out in the sun too long. But, but it's much, much more than that. The truth is, is that God initiates this conversation with Moses, not abstractly, but in the most personal way possible. And, and to grasp how personal it is, we have to know a little bit of Moses' story. Right, to recap, and we're probably all familiar in the room, Moses was born a Hebrew slave. A Hebrew slave on what is effectively an Egyptian plantation adopted by the Egyptian king's daughter. And so he's raised in luxury and, and privilege, but all of that luxury and privilege came on the backs of his own family. And as he got old enough to, to realize this, I imagine that there must have been occasions where he would look out at the Israelite slaves working and wonder, is, is, is that my brother carrying those bricks? I wonder, is that my father being beaten by that slave driver? Is that my mother with sweat dripping from her brow, too exhausted to continue? And so in, inside Moses, there existed this turmoil, a turmoil that finally overflowed in a moment of rage towards an Egyptian slave driver who was beating someone who he saw as his brother. And so in a fit of rage, he kills the slave driver to defend one of his family, a family that, that his luxury had been built on, a family that he didn't know and who didn't know him. And so, and so then he takes this risk of including himself in that family the family that he's always seen but never been a part of, and they respond, are you here to kill us the way that you killed the Egyptian? And suddenly there it was. Shame. The, the very thing that he had been keeping hidden was, was exposed. The thing that had been said quietly was said out loud. You are not one of us, but you're also not one of them. You are, you're an outsider. You're you're not welcome anywhere. And, and Moses responds in shame. Shame, that's what Moses must have carried every day when he realized that he grew up in abundance because his brothers and sisters lacked. That every night he went to sleep with a full belly because his brothers and sisters' bellies ached. Shame, that's what Moses felt when he tried to find his place among his own people. And, and Moses ran in shame. He ran to a place where no one knew him, a place called Midian, a place that he could start over, a place that he could try to, to forget. And shame is what he hid in for 40 years. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, God hears the cry of his people, remembers the promise that he never forgets, and acts decisively by going and finding a man whose shame got exposed and whose calling got lost. And this is how he introduces himself. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, we read it. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God, in his very introduction, the very first thing that he says to Moses, he hits on Moses' shame. He says, I am the God of your father, and he does not mean Pharaoh. 
Right? What is the wound that Moses carries? Who am I? Where is my family? To what people do I belong? I'm not an Egyptian. I'm not a Hebrew. I've got nowhere to truly belong. And so when Moses hears this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. It's a posture of shame. It's like anything but that. Don't remind me of that. See, see Moses wants everything that God has shown up to talk to him about. There's something in him that longs for the liberation of his people, that hungers for, for freedom. But he tried that before, remember? He, he killed the Egyptian. He was ready to, to lead the revolution, but it didn't end how he'd imagined. And so his response to God saying, I am the God of your father. I see you and, and I speak to your shame as he says, who am I? Really, he's saying, do you know who I am? Do, do you know what, what I've done? And God's response is simple and, and yet profound. He says, I'll be with you. And so Moses goes back to that. Well, well, then who are you? Like, Who are you to show up to me in a burning bush? Who are you to, to call my shame into the light of day? Who are you to challenge me to act in a way that, that makes me deeply, deeply uncomfortable? And God's response is, I'm, I'm all you dare to dream I am. I'm the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I'm not a distant God. I'm not a shadow known by the people who've forgotten. I am Yahweh. I'm a God who wants to draw close to you, to know you, and to be known by you. Which brings us to the third and final beat in this story. Names, shame, and family. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul writes this. Galatians 4 verses 4 to 7. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, God sent him to buy freedom for us who are slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. See, at the burning bush, Moses encounters the God who is truly revealed in Jesus. Right? And, and he says, Moses, I see you. I see you in your shame and your hurt. And Moses, I call you. I, I, I don't call you a servant or a slave. I don't call you an outcast. I don't call you Egyptian. I don't call you a prince. I don't even call you a murderer. You are not your mistakes or even your successes. Moses, before you are anything else and above anything else, you are my child. God meets Moses in his hurt and his shame and, and he welcomes him. Now, anywhere else we try and achieve our identity, Right? It's, it's built into human nature. 20 seconds into a conversation with someone, they're going to tell you who they are. They're going to tell you their identity. Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a business person, or I'm a doctor, or I'm a builder. There's nothing wrong with those things, except they cannot handle the weight of being your identity. And they're not freeing. They're identities that, that constrain, that demand, they're achieved, and so they can be lost. If we are what we do, if we are our professions, our jobs, the things that we contribute, then who are you if the pace of work is unsustainable? Who are you if you're injured in such a way that, that work no longer looks the same as it used to? Or who are you if you achieve all of the success and accolades and, and promotions and all the things that you thought would finally bring you satisfaction and you were still not satisfied? See, God meets Moses and he gives him an identity. More than anything he does or doesn't do, he is loved. God is with him. It's not an achieved identity. It's not something he earns his way into. It is a received identity. See, that's the story. Names, shame, and family. 
God wants to deliver the Israelite people from unjust oppression, to answer their prayers and cries with a resounding yes, to remind them of who he is, of his name. Right, not just, oh, you, you forgot, and that's awkward, and you're praying, you really should know my name, but his character, his nature, who he is. And so he goes and he finds an Israelite who ran away in shame 40 years ago. Who, who's hiding both from the oppressed and the oppressor, a man with a heart for justice that has been swallowed up in his shame, whose life has been defined by running from the place and the people and the identity that God called him to. God heard the cry of injustice, so he spoke to Moses, calling him into his family. How do we get free? I want to say it's as simple and, and yet as complicated as this. Identity. Who are we and whose are we? Who loves us? Who welcomes us? Who accepts us? It's a story of liberation. It's a story of, of redemption. This metaphor of family, that we are the family of, of God, is so important. It's so important because family isn't an earned identity. And this might not be the experience of everyone in the room today, but, but that's a misshaping of God's intent. See, when... We've got two children, Oliver and Harriet, five and three, about to turn six and four. And when they were born, before we'd even decided on a first name, and for Harriet, it took us a while. We had a couple we were going, tried, you know, you try on those names for a while, you're like, give this one a go, and that doesn't fit, give that one a go. But while we were still making up our name on that, our name, our mind on the name, before they had a first name, they had a last name. Right? They were Baby Brown before anything else. And, and they were baby brown no matter what happened, no matter how they cried, no matter what they might do, no matter how uh, amazing and, and impressive the poos may be, right? No matter how well or, or the, you know, otherwise they, they may take the bottle or, or whatever might happen, they were baby brown. It wasn't an identity that they earned. It wasn't an identity that, that they convinced us to give them. There was no time. I mean, there might have been something deep within me that I pushed away and said, that is not my true nature, Right? Where in the middle of the night when they've been crying for eight hours straight, I was like, right, sending you back. I did say to M, right, anything else, if it was this hard, I would quit it. But I don't think that's an option. So I guess we're hanging in there. And I'm glad we did. They're great kids. But my point is our love wasn't conditional. Right? Their, their place in our family was not based on how well they did or did not behave. It was something innate. It was something that, that was given to them, not based on who they were, but on who we were. We love them as best we can, and yet at the very best, that love is just an echo of God's love for us. That's why we keep on coming back to this metaphor of family. To understand this is not just something we say to kind of drum up some sense of camaraderie. It's not just something we say to be like, hey, you know, what a great, you know, they've always been saying this, so I guess we'll keep on going, and it feels a bit weird. Hey, brother. No, this is something that is, something that needs to get in us that's deeply true, not just about our relationship with one another, but with our relationship to the Father, that we are seen, that we are welcomed, that we are loved, that it is not an earned identity, that it is not achieved, but it is received. And so to finish as the band comes to join me, Paul writes this in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he says this, Even before the world, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. 
God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. If you don't remember anything else today, I'd I'd hope and it's my prayer that you'd remember this. God decided in advance. Before you could do anything, before you could do anything that, that you might think would earn or lose the right to be a son or a daughter, before we could earn our way into or out of his good graces, God decided. He chose you. And he knew what that meant. When God decided, he saw the cross. He saw our sin, our shame. And he decided it wasn't a deal breaker. That it wasn't too hard. That it wasn't too far. That it wasn't too much to come for us. Like Moses, he decided we can come to God broken. In fact, it's the only way we can come. Because it's only in God we find healing. God decided in advance. Names, shame, and family. God meets us in our shame and He invites us into His family because that's who He is. And and in doing so, just like with Moses, it leads to much more than just our freedom. See, the, 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 the amazing thing about it all is that God heals the world. God brings freedom to the oppressed. God binds up the brokenhearted by first binding up our broken hearts, by first bringing us freedom. And then those who are free go out in the freedom that they have, not fully free necessarily, but wounded healers. People who know the love of God and yet still walk with a bit of a limp. In the freedom that we have, going out and meeting people in their freedom or their lack of freedom and simply pointing to a Savior. Maybe it's as simple as going out and and being proud of the fact that His name is Yahweh. Meeting people who've got some sort of an idea of who God is, that He is distant and angry and needs to be impressed and saying, no, that sounds a whole lot like Elohim. That's a distant Lord. He's closer than that. He's kinder than that. God is Yahweh. His character is a God of liberation, a God of freedom, a God who would come to us in our sin and shame when we could not do anything to earn His love, and yet He would hear our cries and bring freedom. See, in the way that only God can work, it's by healing me that He brings healing to the world, calling me into His family. The two are inseparable from one another because, as you'll hear us say again and again, free people, free people. It's when we encounter freedom, something happens first in us, but not just for us, that then we can carry freedom to those we know and love. Church, would you stand to your feet with me? I want to do two things to close. The first is as you bow your heads and as you close your eyes. is quite simply an invitation to the family. And it's not my invitation. I'm not inviting you to my family. I'm inviting you to a bigger family. As great as my family is, I would even suggest a better family. Really, I'm just passing on the invitation. God invites you to be a part of His family. The level of your intimacy is is not defined by Him. He's not waiting for you to improve. It's, It's chosen by us. 
because God decided in advance. He came in the person of Jesus to overcome the sin that enslaves us, taking our sin, dying the death of sin for us. He didn't stay dead. He rose on the third day, proving to to us, demonstrating in an act of overcoming death in the grave that there is nothing too big to confine God's love. That we are free of the weight, the penalty and the power and the presence of sin if we would choose to trust in Him. See, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came so that dead people could live. So today, as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed in the room or online, if you're here and you'd say, I I would recognize that there is something in me that is not free. There is something in me that is dead. There is something in me that is not in the family and, and I want to be a part of the family. I've been trying to earn my way in. I've been trying to convince God or or maybe even just convince myself that I could be loved. And today I realize all there is to do is to accept the sacrifice already given. The invitation is made. It's our opportunity to choose. Will we receive the gift of salvation? So as heads about, as eyes are closed, maybe you've prayed this prayer before, but somewhere along the way you would recognize, I feel like I, I left the family. I feel like I stood up and, and walked out of the house. I feel like I'm, I'm on my own. I feel like I'm back to, I, I used to know God is Yahweh and now He's a distant Elohim. I wanna come back. I wanna remember His name just like the people of Israel. One of the encouragements of the story of the Exodus is that it's never too late to remember who God is. We are always welcome back. Or maybe you're here today and you're like, I I don't know if I've ever known God as Yahweh. But I think today I might want to. Seeds of bows, his eyes are closed. I'm going to ask you in a, a moment to raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying with. But perhaps more importantly, so that there's a moment for you where as we all repeat these words, you know something special happened for me. I made a decision. I chose to be a part of the family, and so I am. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. So if that's you, as heads are bowed, as eyes are closed, would you raise your hand and let me know? I want to pray this prayer with me for the first time or as a recommitment. If that's you, would you raise your hand in three, two, one. See the hand. Awesome, I see that hand. Others here today saying, yeah, that's me. Would you raise your hand up nice and high? And we celebrate with you today. Online, if that's you, we'd love to pray this prayer with you. Shumatana, if that's you, we don't want to miss the opportunity to support you in this. Would you raise your hand? Awesome. Church, would you repeat this prayer after me? God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that means I'm far from you. But I believe that Jesus Christ came, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead that He made a way for me to come close to you. And so today, I choose to follow you. I give you my life. And God, would you help me? Fill me with your Spirit. Give me your power, grace, and strength to live the life I was born to live. A free life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, in a moment, we're going to go back into that song. I am who you say I am. But but I feel that there's a moment that we don't want to rush past here. Perhaps we could say that this is a burning bush moment. A moment where Moses was walking about in his everyday life and he heard the voice of God calling him, Moses, 
Moses. I simply want to suggest maybe today God's calling your name. The reality is all of us could be freer. We live a life that that seeks to to ensnare us, to enslave us. We live a life where we're constantly accidentally often giving our allegiance to things that that restrict and confine us. Or at the very least, we're we're living in such a way where we, we end up in the achieved identity rather than the received. I'm the things I do. I'm I'm the stuff I amass. I'm the way that I feel other people might feel about me. Could it be that God is inviting us today to stop running, to stop hiding, to realize that there is nowhere that God's grace can't touch? One more time, I want to remind you, God decided in advance. He knows what it takes to love you. He knows what it takes to accept you. He knows what it takes to welcome you into His family. He has already made up His mind you are loved. Once his head's about, his eyes are closed. I'm going to say this whole time, we don't just want to talk about freedom. Come on, we want to experience it. We want to walk into a fresh encounter of the freedom that God has for us. And today, if you're here, if you want, this can be a burning bush moment. A moment where you come and simply ask, God, who am I and who are you? I believe there's an opportunity for God to respond, to maybe correct some some unhelpful thinking, to heal some hurts, to reestablish, remind, and affirm some character. And so the invitation today is, is as we sing this song, as we declare this truth, who the Son sets free, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. I'm not what? my insecurities might say. I'm not what my pain might say. I'm not what my past might say. I am who God says I am. I'm chosen. I'm seen. I'm loved. I'm accepted. Would you receive that in a way that goes beyond just singing words, but could it perhaps even maybe be a prayer for you? God, I want to be loved by you. Today I lower my walls a little bit. I let your love in. When his, his head's about, his, his heart's are open, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing this. God, I thank you today that, that you see us. God, that you meet with us. Not because we've earned it. Not because we've convinced you to. But because that's who you are. You're a God of liberation. You're a God of freedom. You are a God of unearned mercy, grace, and love. And God, your invitation to us today is to realize that we are not what we might say we are. We are not what the world might say we are. We are not the identities that might be put on us by our our pain, our experience, or just the, the process of living life. We are who you say we are. That freedom is found in identity realizing that we are a child of God, that we are seen, accepted, and loved. And so God, today we want to do more than just think that. We want to do more than just believe that. We want to live in it. So God, I pray as we sing the song, would it be more than just a song? Would it be a a prayer? A true reality for us that lands, would we leave different than when we came in for having encountered you? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, the band's going to lead us. Just one last thing to say though. As we're singing the song, for some of us, 
we need to pull the stake out of the ground. For some of us, we need to look at the things that have been confining and restraining us and realize this is not enough. I will not let this, this is too, too small a thing. It might be big to me, but it's small in comparison to God's love. I will not let it restrict me any longer. And, and, and maybe for some of us, doing that requires something more than just singing a song and raising our hands. There's nothing wrong with that. But maybe there's an invitation today to come to the altar and say, God, I'm coming here and saying something in me needs to change. God, I lay down the identity that that I might have, the identity that might be forced on me by others or just the process of life, and I receive afresh who you are. I just believe it's a word for some people that there is freedom here today, that you can walk out different. Come on, there's no expectation that you have to do anything, but there is an invitation. And as a church, we want to stand with you in the freedom that Christ has won for you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.